Hi, good morning. Good morning. Oh, it's so great to see you all. Put my walker over here. Okay, so as Wayne said, my name is Rayma Slayton, and I'm one of the worship leaders here at the Mustard Seed. Um, and so we've been in a series where we're looking at how Jesus lived his life here on earth and how we as his people can apprentice ourselves to following him. It's through his examples in the scripture, we're learning how to do what Jesus did. And to me, this series has already offered some very much needed reminders of how I'm a daughter of God. Um, and Jesus is my grace, gracious healer and teacher who is teaching me how to live this spiritually hungry, needy, and broken life. And he's healing me, filling me, teaching me until the very end, my very last breath. So I love that reminder that we're all in this together and we're all being taught by him, right? Do you agree? Yeah. So I spent my elementary school years growing up in a very spiritually aware city, Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> uh, my parents were in school at CU Boulder at the time. And when I think of the people that I grew up with, like my general impression, it's that they were very kind and open, um, but also very, very spiritually hungry. Any religion you can think of is represented in Boulder, Colorado. Um, some people I knew would try on multiple religions, sometimes simultaneously. And it seemed like it was just in this quest, this hunger to find peace and also to desperately respond to the needs within themselves and the needs in others. But I think it's all humans, not just those in Boulder, Colorado. We all at one time or another contemplate a spirituality outside of ourselves. And many of these spiritual roads we take, they can result in us trying a lot of things in our own strength and in our own thinking. Um, sometimes others show us complex rituals or we'll just speak things, do things, just all in our own strength. And actually in most religions around the world, there's rarely a reliance on a spiritual being, let alone God, to help someone in their time of need. So I grew up in a Christian family in this environment, and even at a young age, it surprised me at how complicated some of the families around me made spirituality. I actually have this very vivid memory of a family I was close to, and they lost one of their daughters at a, a very young age. She was way too young. And at the funeral, at the end, the parents stood up and they were like, you know, we're so thankful for your support. Um, you know, we've been talking to our Christian minister, and then our shaman came over too, and he came to our house and he showed us how to uh, set up an altar to stay connected to our daughter so we can always remember her in this way. And I just felt their pain and their sadness that they were trying everything they could to find healing and grace and trying to, you know, deal with their grief. So fast forward to 2022, it's not just Boulder, Colorado that's interested in the spiritual realm, right? In 2017, Pew Research found that 27% of Americans consider themselves to be spiritual, but not religious. And then I also saw a USA Today article from this past October, 2021, 
They found that two in five Americans believe in ghosts, and one in five Americans actually believe they've seen a ghost or encountered one. So none of this surprises me, because I do think we are living in a time of heightened cultural spiritual curiosity. And I've heard stories of people going to great lengths to find spiritual truths, to answer the cries of their hearts, to get you know, needs solved for their earthly problems. In this, I think one thing we can learn is that our human tendency is to try everything first, but connecting with the God of the universe. Even as Christians, I think we often overcomplicate our connection to God. I've done this. Often when I hear of a tragedy or a friend who's walking through hard times, I immediately go to worrying about them. And then I work through this laundry list of things in my mind. I'm like, what can I do to help them? Maybe I could try this. Maybe I could try that. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say we shouldn't help each other out, right? Practically meeting each other's needs is so important, and it's often what God asks us to do. But I am saying that often in my doing, I sometimes actually miss the most powerful help I could offer someone, and that's praying for them. How about you? Have you worried in your own strength when your high schooler is just hanging out with the wrong crowd? Um, Or how about when your aging parent is facing yet another health challenge? The needs around us can just feel so overwhelming. And I think we often don't go to prayer first in these situations because sometimes we just don't even know what to say. Um, Sometimes it feels like all we're doing is just talking to the ceiling or maybe our car windshield. And when it comes to prayer, sometimes I can just feel so inadequate. And so I want to move that inadequacy into going and doing and fixing. Today, we're going to talk about how Jesus met the needs around him through prayer first. And so if we really are going to do what he did, I think there's an important lesson and a model for us here to walk through in our own lives. Um, He prayed simply. There were no complex rituals. Um, There were no mysterious words that he said. And we have that same direct line of communication to God, the God of all creation, through what Jesus did for us on the cross. And the God of all creation, he invites us actively, actually, to use this line of communication to him, both in praying for ourselves and for others. God moves when we pray. There are many mentions in the Gospels of Jesus healing the sick, preaching sermons. He also prays for himself. But there's also some very key and powerful times when Jesus prays specifically for others. He shows us the power of focusing our empathy and our compassion into prayer. So the first example I have is actually a conversation between Jesus and Peter. And this conversation happened in the days leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. In Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32, if you want to turn there in your Bibles with me. So Peter has come up to Jesus and he's saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow you everywhere you go. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And in Luke 22, 31 through 32, Jesus says, 
Simon, Simon. That was the other name for Peter. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus had been in prayer for Peter. And God had showed Jesus that Peter would deny him. And yet Jesus still prayed for this disciple whom he loved so dearly. And he was able to use that moment to encourage Peter and say, you'll be coming back to me. You'll still be used. I'm praying for you. Um, But our actual main text today is going to be John 17, verses 6 through 21. So, yeah, go ahead and turn over to there. We're going to camp out there for a little bit longer. And while you're turning there in your Bible, I'd like to give you some context to what's happening in the story. It's the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. And... All of Jerusalem, all of Israel is celebrating a very important holiday called Passover. And this is the last Passover that Jesus is going to get to celebrate here on earth. And for this celebration, Jesus planned a very intimate evening with just his disciples, just the people closest to him. And in that meeting, he washed their feet. He encouraged them. He gave them some warnings, some prophecies, some um, ideas of hope. And then he began to pray over them. So will you please stand with me and let's read together the word. Um, We'd like to stand here at the mustard seed to read our main passage just as a way to honor God and honor his word. So let's go for John 17 verses 6 through 12. This is the prayer that Jesus prays over his disciples at that dinner. I have revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, and they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. The glory has come to me through them. I will remain in this world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except for the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. Thanks. Maybe seated. Okay, so my first point today is simple. And it's that Jesus interceded. Jesus prayed for others. And in this passage we just read, He shows us, even now, that prayer is so important. Praying for others is so important that even though Jesus knew he would be dying the next day, he took the time to pray over his disciples. And then, actually, as the the passage continues, you should check it out this week, the end of John chapter 17, Jesus then proceeds to pray for all future believers. Believers who weren't even around yet, hadn't even been born yet. So Jesus used some of his last words on earth 
to pray for you. Um, there's another intercessory moment in the Gospels, and it happens after this prayer in John 17. So after this moment of the Passover dinner, Jesus and his disciples were moved to a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus begins, you know, he's praying, he's weeping, he's asking God, is there anything else you can do but not your will, no, sorry, not my will, but your will be done, I will go to the cross. And so after this moment, Jesus is arrested and a trial happens and he's sentenced to be crucified. And after Jesus has been beaten and bruised and hung on the cross, he prays for others. So in Luke 23, verses 32 through 33, here's what the passage says. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. So even as Jesus was in pain and he was about to die, he interceded for his enemies. And the powerful story of prayer and praying for others just continues through the Gospels, through the book of Acts, through the epistles. Um, and even in Hebrews 7, 23 through 25, we learn that after Jesus' burial, resurrection, and his return to heaven, he is now our eternal priest. And that means he's in heaven with God, interceding for his people He's interceding for you right now, never ending for forever. So whatever you are going through, Jesus is interceding on your behalf. He is praying for you. He already knows your needs. He's already thinking about you. He's already aching for the pains that are going on in your life. The New Testament is filled with these examples of the disciples doing what Jesus did, praying for others. All of the disciples, they were in that last room with Jesus. Sorry, the Last Supper. They were in that same room with Jesus. And they heard Jesus praying for others with passion and fervor and hope. And then, you know what's kind of cool? The disciples got to watch those prayers be fulfilled. The prayers they'd heard that night. Watched him happen, even after Jesus had ascended back to heaven. And so then we see lots of accounts of the disciples praying and the people that the disciples discipled praying. So for example, um, Stephen, he prayed in Acts 7 for his enemies while they were stoning him. Many believers prayed for Paul when he was in prison and an angel came to break him out of prison. I think that's pretty awesome. I could use like... You know, a motorcycle gang of angels come and help me in my time of need. Uh, and then in nearly every single one of the epistles or the letters that Paul and other authors wrote to the churches shortly after Jesus, um, you know, had left this earth, they're full of verses saying, pray for your fellow church family, pray for your neighbors, pray for your city, pray for your nation. Pray for the work that God is doing around the world. 
and pray for future believers too. So that brings me to my second point today, which is also pretty simple. And that's that we are called to intercede. And not just called, but we're empowered to pray. I really believe that God gave us capacities for compassion and empathy so that we could partner with him to do his will and bring his kingdom to earth. One of the biggest themes of the entire Bible, actually, is that God partners with humans to heal the land and right the wrongs of this earth. And this partnership starts with praying for others. One of the earliest examples we have of someone interceding in the Bible is Moses. And there's this moment where after the Israelites have been rescued from slavery in Egypt, they were beginning not just their desert journey, but they also had to create an entirely new culture and life for themselves. All they had known were just generations and generations of slavery. And so in Exodus 32, the scene opens and Moses has hiked up to a mountain to meet with God and to get some clarification on how to lead these people, this new nation. And so Moses spends 40 days and 40 nights with God. And at the end of those days, Moses and God make an agreement with each other. They say, we're going to choose each other unconditionally. Moses, on behalf of the people, he's like, we're going to be your people, God. And God says, here's what I'm going to promise you. I'm going to be your good God to prosper you, protect you, you know, make you flourish in this land. But right after these promises are exchanged, God tells Moses that down off the mountain, the Israelites have already abandoned their end of the covenant, their end of the deal. And instead of choosing God, they have created their own golden calf, an idol to worship. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Exodus 32, verses 7 through 14. Let's listen in on this conversation between Moses and God. Okay, so Exodus 32, verses 7 through 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down. Because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, they've become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and they have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it, and they have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They're stiff-necked. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them. And then I'll make you into a great nation. Whew. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to hear God say that to me or to my friends and family, right? <clears throat> okay, so it continues. Find my spot here. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountain and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster to your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, 
I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all the land I promised them. Then it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Okay, so first of all, Moses and God, in this passage, they're talking like friends. They are honestly working out some really serious issues, right? Um, Pete Gregg from 24-7 Prayer International, he describes intercessory prayer as the mediation between two parties as an equal or a friend. So Moses becomes this intercessor in this moment. He is both empathizing, relating to God, seeing God's hurt, understanding that God has every right, you know, to do away with these people who have disobeyed him in this way. But then at the same time, Moses is empathizing with the people. He's standing in the middle, standing in the gap. He's being a friend to both sides and using prayer to bridge that gap. In this story, Moses also merges his will with God's will. He reminds God of his characteristics. He's saying, God, you give grace. You have promised blessings upon these people. Turn away your wrath. Moses appeals to God to be consistent with his behavior and his character and his promises of the past. And then God responds as a friend of Moses, too, and and relents and agrees. This is a puzzling passage. I think um, theologians have wrestled with these ideas for, I mean, since we had the Bible, (laughs) right? It's this tension between, do we really have the ability to speak up and have God hear us and help change the course of what seems like a permanent historical or future focus. Um, So Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, he described this Exodus 32 moment, this tension of Moses being an intercessor and a friend. He explained it as a partnership. So he wrote, far from human intercession being an irritating but occasionally successful intrusion on God's prefabricated blueprints for history, Moses' prayer becomes an integral part to how God's sovereignty is executed. For some reason, for some mystery, God wants to invite us in to healing this world, to be an active participation and out of friendship, out of partnership. He's not up there in heaven hearing our little prayers and being like, what did Kurt Lincoln say? I didn't hear that. Can you try that again? Right? He's so interested and so wanting to partner with us. Um, And then Pete Gray from 24-7 Prayer International also describes the process this way. He goes, in intercession, we bring our free wills to God and we say, here is a landing pad for your will. Let your will be done. So as intercessors, right, we're standing in the gap and we're saying, My heart is a landing pad for your will. I don't want my will. I want your will, God. It's out of this space, out of this confidence of relationship that God calls you and me to partner with him in praying for others. Okay. 
That feels pretty lofty, huh? Kind of intense. <laughs> um, so now that we have this calling, this friendship with God, what do we even do? How do we even pray in this way? And sometimes when I hear about all of these prayer heavyweights like Moses or Abraham or Esther or Paul, I just feel discouraged. <laughs> um, they just seem like they've really got it together. And I do not. <laughs> um, but really, if we look closely at all of these people, they were just ordinary, flawed humans like you and me. But they answered the tugs of God on their heart to pray and then partner with God in meeting needs. All we need to do is to be available to partner with God, to be that landing pad of our will for God's will. Okay, I got a few examples for you from my own life. Um, I've been realizing that I am a text prayer. Does anyone else pray that way? I mean, I do love to pray in person. I will pray in person with you. I'm always happy to do that. Um, but oftentimes, what's available to me is to send a text. <laughs> um, and so sometimes a person will just drop on my heart. And I've been learning to take that actually as a cue that I need to check in with that person and really genuinely ask them how they're doing or specifically say, hey, I want to pray for you and I really mean it. Don't just say, hey, thanks. No, no. Give me something to pray for for you. You're on my heart for a reason. Um, so, for example, in January, there was just a Sunday morning or afternoon. Yeah, I was after church. And I was just kind of like around the house getting ready for the work week. And God put one of my friends here in Grand Junction in my heart. And I just texted her and I was like, hey, haven't heard from you for a while. Um, I just want to know how you're doing. And she says, I'm so glad you texted. I just learned of a tragedy in our school community. And I'm just at a loss for what to do. Can you pray for me? And so I was able to text her back and I texted her a prayer and just, and then she was on my heart for like the whole week and I would just try to check in and text her. Um, or actually last December, there was one day when I was driving home from work and I like had pulled down my street here in Palisade and God put Adam Paulson on my heart. Adam here from church. And I just started to pray for him and I started to cry. And I was like, oh, okay, sometimes I'm a pry prayer too, often. Um, and so I pulled into my driveway and I just sent him a quick text. I'm like, hey, Adam, God just put you on my heart. And here's a prayer for you. 10 minutes, he texts me back. He's like, thank you. I have been so sick. <laughs> and I didn't even know it, right? But I just responded to that little tug on my heart. And kind of prayed for him even though I didn't know the specifics of the situation. And that was enough, right? To just pray over him in that way. So God will put you on the hearts of others. That's just how his kingdom works. He is so aware of your needs. So desiring to bring you closer to him. For you to have healing in your life. That he really will put you on the hearts of others. I have also been the receiver of people praying intentionally for me. And I think the most recent one was a couple of weeks ago, my whole family was sick. And there were many people from church, um, from our family and friends, even outside of church, who would just check in and, and pray and say they were praying. And it really meant a lot. Um, 
But there was definitely one night in particular, and all of us were not feeling good. And my husband, Matt, and I, oh, we were trying so hard to get everyone in bed. Um, we have three little kids, and it's 9 p.m. <laughs> and one of our kids, all of a sudden, just comes, becomes completely inconsolable. I can't even tell you what it was or why it happened, but man, the emotions were just escalating and running high. And I just quickly stepped into our guest room for a minute, and I took a deep breath, and I said, God, I invite your peace to be here. I need you here. I have no clue what to do. Holy Spirit, show me what to do. That's all I had time for. <laughs> then I stepped back in, and I don't even remember how, but we finally got our kid to sleep. So later in the night, I checked my phone as I was getting ready for bed, and there was a text from one of my friends here at church. And she said, I really felt led to pray for you and to stop right now whatever I was doing and pray against fear at your house. And the text came right after I had said that prayer in our guest room alone to God. I hadn't texted her. I hadn't said anything like that. And I just, this awe washed over me because clearly the Holy Spirit, he knew what I needed. And so he moved on my friend to, at that moment, to encourage me right back and say that prayer and to let me know that she had prayed for me. And in that moment, I just felt so seen. Seen by my friend, but also seen by God. Right? That the God of the universe would take the time to care about this meltdown my kid was having. It's amazing. It's amazing. And he does that. He does that for you too. God sees you. He really sees you. He wants to show up for you in specific ways that speak dearly to your heart. And if you're going through something right now, God sees you. And I bet he will send someone to pray for you. And I also bet that he will send you to pray for someone else. Often it's just that little nudge, right? That's what we get. And it's not God yelling from heaven, Hey, Rima, pray for Wayne. <laughs> it's just, just this little, yeah, little heart nudge, little thought that drops in. And so I would encourage you, when you get that thought, just quickly check in with God. Be like, are you asking me to pray? Are you asking me to do something practical? God is just asking us to simply be available and to listen to what he would have us pray, say, and do. Okay, so maybe you felt that tug. You felt that desire to check in with someone. How do we do it? How do we intercede? I think the doing can be so confusing. Sometimes my prayers feel like I'm just muttering to myself. Uh, and often I don't even know what to say on behalf of others, especially when the grief is heavy and big. And I think, who am I? in the midst of all of these situations to pray and know how to pray. How about you? How do you pray when your friend just lost their spouse? Um, how about when someone from your class at school just drops off from the face of the planet and you learn that they're struggling with depression? We're seeing a lot of that, us educators right now. 
Um, how about when your grandchild loses their job? Big, hard things. I felt a burden lift the past few weeks when I studied about how Jesus and Moses interceded. I picked up on that they were never alone. Um, they never had to shoulder the heavy weights of the needs around them alone. They were empowered by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Actually, one of the greatest gifts we've ever been given is the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26 through 27 describes that even when we don't have the words to pray, the Holy Spirit knows what to pray. And he prays for us and on behalf of us. So there's just this beautiful partnership between God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They're the real heavyweights, not us. And so that's when the burden lifted for me when it was like, okay, I just need to be willing and able and available. I'm going to let them do the heavy lifting. So you are never alone in your prayers. You never need to bear these heavy burdens by yourself. And you are equipped and commissioned to pray with others and for others. And you are completely qualified to do it just as you are today. Nothing else needed. So, will you step out in faith and simply be available to God to pray for others? As the worship team comes up, I have a few practicals for you today to guide you through the potential awkwardness and hardness of prayer. And these are from Pete Gregg of 24-7 Prayer International, and they really resonated with me. They're simple steps, so it's a challenge for me too. So the first step in praying for others is to get informed about needs. Some will be really obvious. Some might be, you need to pray for your neighbor's cat. Some will be as big as like praying to end a war in another country. There's lots of different ways that the Holy Spirit moves on us to pray. So learn about missionaries. Learn about Palisade. Pray for the Buxtons. Pray for Eden. Pray for our staff here. Pray for me because I teach college students. <laughs> I need all the prayer I can get. <laughs> uh, and then, I mean, my advice would be to text people and ask them for specific ways to pray. Or call, or when you run into them, just very genuinely ask them. And then honestly answer when they ask you for your own prayer requests. This is a two-way street, right? This is how we share our burdens and we let Jesus and the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting. My second idea is that get inspired. When you don't know what to pray, turn to the scriptures. Sometimes I'll ask God for a specific scripture, um, but often it's more like I'm just kind of reading the Bible for a devotional time and I'll ask him to show me what's on his heart that day and it's often for me and for someone else. Or sometimes I'll even just Google for a specific scripture list, a topical list. I'll Google for scriptures about grace, mercy, healing, forgiveness, peace. And I'll just have those up on my phone screen and I'll start to pray them out loud and it's just this reminder of I'm aligning my will with God's will. His word is his will and will guide us in that. The third step is to be intentional and that just means keep praying. 
Keep asking the Holy Spirit if you need to check in with that person. Um, for example, I'm sure many of us have family members or dear friends who don't know Jesus yet. And while it's not our job to actually like bring them to salvation, that's God's job, I do believe the Holy Spirit will continually lead us to partner with him and pray for those people. It might not be an everyday thing, right? Again, it's not a burden you have to shoulder and hunch your back and like always have in the front of your mind. But just check with the Holy Spirit. Check in about that person. Do you need to pray for them that day or that hour even, right? And then my fourth idea is that we should get in sync, which means we should pray with each other. And this is out of Matthew 18, verse 20, where Jesus says, For where two or more, sorry, two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. It's great to pray on your own. I think a lot of our prayer does happen on our own, but there's definitely something so beautiful, something so powerful that happens when we pray with others. Okay, so let's pray as we wrap up. Jesus, thank you that we get to partner with you in bringing your justice and goodness and healing to this world. Draw our hearts to praying for others. Remind us to be available and waiting. And that is our, it is our honor to get to pray for each other. Drop people in situations both near and far into our hearts and help us to rely on the Holy Spirit to know when and for how long to pray. Help us to turn to prayer first before we work to make change in our own strength. Father God, heal our land. Show us how to intercede for your life and your renewal around us. Let it be so. May we say yes for what you want for ourselves and for others. Amen.